Today's New Testament reading is Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. The letter to Pergamum is rich with imagery. I wish we could get to every single image laid out in this letter, but once again, time does not permit, so you will have to come back on Wednesday if you'd like to hear just a little bit more about the letter to Pergamum. The book of Revelation is full of images, and we have a very powerful, vivid image presented to us in these opening verses of the letter to Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword. Rome was a military power. I don't think you had to get an A in history class to know that or to remember that from some kind of world history class. But Rome at its time, at its peak, was the most advanced civilization in the world. Not just architecture or science, but also weaponry and with the military. Of course, they had spears like just about every other culture in the world. It's not too hard to come up with the notion of having a stick with something sharp on the end that you can throw at someone. So Rome had that, as did just about everyone else. There were a few less cultures who had a sword with a single sharp edge on it. And so once that spear was thrown, and you never would know if you would get it back, you at least could draw your sword for close combat. And of course, certain advancements allowed this sword to be made, and you can see there is one sharp side. And so the the military and the soldiers would swing that sword repeatedly with that one side. But then, of course, the Roman Empire adapted something that would change their fortunes. They adapted the double-edged sword that gave them so much more capability they could strike twice as quickly and defeat anyone who did not match that kind of technology. This sword even reminds you, its name was a gladius. It reminds you of the movie Gladiator or any kind of stories you've heard of Roman gladiators because they had such advanced weaponry. This sword was a figurative but also literal symbol of Rome's might in the area and their dominance amongst surrounding cultures. If you had that double-edged sword, you could cut through just about anything, And you could not be 
defeated. And so today we hear from the words from the one who has a double-edged sword, and eventually we hear of that sword again, of one that comes out of the mouth, a strange image that stretches us and challenges us to ask how literally do we need to take revelation when there was a sword coming out of someone's mouth, and we'll get to that again momentarily. But Jesus is the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword, And the people of Pergamum, anyone in the Roman Empire hearing of this image, would know exactly what was being referred to. The double-edged sword, powerful, capable of great judgment and rule and dominance. And in this passage, it is Jesus who carries the double-edged sword. And yet it is not in a literal sense, it is more figurative because later in the passage we hear of the sword of the mouth. And there are other parts in Revelation where we hear of a great sword coming out of the mouth of Christ. Which tells us Jesus is using this power and might in an alternate way from the world. This sword coming from the mouth means that the word of God and the word of Christ is and will be powerful, world-changing, cutting, issuing judgment. And this is, of course, a testimony to what we read of throughout the Scripture, that the Word of God never returns void. It is tried and purified. It is alive and full of power. But it also exposes us. It judges us. Ultimately, it changes us and changes all encounter it. The message of Revelation is that even Rome would feel the power of the sword of Jesus Christ, if not in the immediate present in the future. And yet it was a different kind of sword, not the kind of sword that the Roman gladiators took with them, but the sword of the mouth of Christ. God's word would have the power to bring the empire of Rome down to the ground. The word of God would have the power to alter history. The word of God would supersede the power of Rome in changing the course of history. And so that we begin with the double-edged sword of Christ was an important truth for people to hear when they were living amongst a kind of people or a kind of empire that was not defeatable. They had the double-edged sword. No one could take them on. And yet with these opening words to Pergamum, we read that Jesus Christ could in fact take down this empire. We of course use this phrase, a double-edged sword, sometimes in our regular speech, don't we? We say, well, that's kind of a double-edged sword. That's kind of a double-edged issue. It means it has both favorable and unfavorable consequences, right? If we say something is double-edged. And I think that speaks to what it means to follow Christ. Yes, it is favorable in that the message of God will prevail through us and all will be made right. And that Jesus has the victory both now and in the future. And yet it cuts both ways and that it affects us deeply as well. The word of God judges us as well. It asks us to take an inward look when we hear and are affected by and ultimately 
cut with that word of God. We are to look inward to see where we are cut and what is, where we are affected. But in the end, that word of God, that sword is all-powerful. There's another image that probably strikes you in this passage about Pergamum being the place where Satan's throne is. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement. We don't know exactly always what John is saying when he gives these words or what Christ is saying when these words come through John. But we hear a couple of times that in this passage, the throne of Satan is in Pergamum, even later on. Jesus says, this is where Satan lives. Now, we can explore that passage deeply and deeply and deeply, but it may simply be saying that this town is full of evil and that which is counter to Jesus Christ. What you're looking at are the ruins of an ancient temple of Zeus overlooking the city of Pergamum. And so if you were a citizen of this town, you would be walking around, and when you gazed up to the mountains, not unlike we do here in Black Mountain, when you gazed up, you would see a great temple dedicated to the god Zeus. It was almost like they gave Zeus a throne overlooking the city. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is and yet it wasn't just that temple everywhere you looked the romans were giving tribute to their emperors and their gods there was a temple to the divine augustus and the goddess roma there was a sanctuary of trajan a roman emperor there were shrines to pergamum kings and the house of adelus there were temples and shrines to athena dionysus demeter hera and asclepius Google who they are. I don't have time to go through that right now. But literally everywhere you looked was a reminder of Rome's presence and Rome's power. And in these things, in these temples, represented all that Rome was about. Exhilarating, popular, tempting, indulging. And so Jesus says, I know where you live. Jesus says, I know what you see every day and what you are tempted to do. And yet you have held steadfast to my word. It's not hard to relate to no matter where we live in our own cities. What it means to look around and to face that kind of temptation to indulge or to go astray from Christ's call. Everywhere we look, there are symbols and powers that remind us of what our culture values, right? Everywhere we look, there is something calling us away from following Jesus. We can look up and there are billboards all around us, especially driving the interstate, saying, buy this or eat this. Make me your God, they ultimately say. Sometimes we look to commercials or ads or on the internet. We simply can't go through our phone without ads popping up telling us what we need to download next to make our life more productive or useful or wealthy. Sometimes we look to our country's leaders and we believe that our Savior will or eventually come along in the capital. Sometimes we look to pundits or cable news or opinion shows to gain our bearing. 
Sometimes we look to the almighty dollar. We are told this is what leads us astray. In this very letter, momentarily, we will learn that there were those in the church at Pergamum who did go astray. Because they were looking all around them and finding their direction and their call from something else that they had committed to. There is a condemnation for the people of Pergamum that says you follow the teachings of Balaam. When was the last time you heard the name Balaam? It comes up kind of randomly, we think, in the passage here at Revelation, but it actually makes perfect sense because Balaam was a figure of the Old Testament who sabotaged the Israelites as they entered the promised land. He led them astray when they had almost arrived. Even in this passage, we read, that he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and to practice fornication. And there's that mysterious group again that we heard of earlier called the Nicolaitans. And so what we can gather is that there were people of the church at Pergamum who had sought to cheat as followers of Christ. They might claim to be Christians, but they may have found a way to enjoy that good Roman lifestyle. They may have found a way to say, yeah, I can be both. I can be a citizen of Rome and enjoy all it has to offer and also be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, right? And Jesus says, not so much. You have been led astray. And what we learn is from the teachings of Balaam is that it's like they had almost arrived. The book of Revelation suggests to the readers that your life may be coming to an end because you live under the lordship of Christ. And so it's almost like saying you're almost there, and yet you went astray. Revelation is a book of struggle. These are not Christians who had just planted a church and were excited for this new church plant. They had been on the scene a while, and so it's possible that their passion had started to fade. It's possible that they said, you know, I I thought Jesus would have returned by now, and so I kind of feel like throwing in the towel. Maybe it's not so urgent to live for Christ. Maybe there's a few areas here and there where we can compromise as a church. Somewhere along the way, they thought they were in good enough standing with Christ that they could get away with indulging in that sweet Roman lifestyle. And yet Jesus comes along and says, you are better than this. Repent. I have come with the sword of my mouth. We can feel like wondering when we've been living this Christian life quite a while, can't we? I think most of you in this room are folks who have been following Jesus for a pretty long time. Many of you have been following Jesus for decades now, and you might say, you know, I'm kind of tired. I, I, I want to compromise in some areas because I'm, I'm tired of not indulging in what culture calls me to do. I'm tired of not chasing money. I'm tired of not chasing lust. I'm tired of living this life that Jesus calls me to. Can't I just cheat in some areas? Remember that there were Christians at the time of Revelation who were living out the call of Christ under the threat of execution. 
or property confiscation. Remember that when you feel tempted to go astray. Remember all of the Christians who came before us, who continued to live out their faith despite these kind of threats. I think that's a good reminder from the book of Revelation, is that the early church in many ways was in jeopardy. The people started to go astray, and yet Jesus steps on the scene or gives a vision that says, I'm still here, and you must still follow me, no matter how challenging it gets. Of course, there is a promise for us. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on that white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. What is this white stone that Christ is referring to? We don't entirely know. There are a few theories. The white stone, for instance, sometimes a judge might issue a white stone to acquit a prisoner, so they would receive that white stone as proof that they had been acquitted or set free. Sometimes a slave who was given their freedom was given a white stone. Victorious athletes were given white stones that would then give them a new place or a new standing in society. They could get into banquets or dinners. Sometimes a warrior returning from battle in victory would receive a white stone. There were stones on the breastplates of the high priests in the Old Testament. All that's to say, who knows exactly what Jesus is referring to here. But that's the beauty of Revelation, because my question to you is, do we really have to choose? Because in Christ, we can have victory. In Christ, we have that white stone that gives us freedom. In Christ, we have safe passage. In Christ, we have holiness. So why choose just one? In Christ, we receive the ultimate reward and all that is good. Even when we look up and it seems apparent who has won the victory, even if it seems apparent who's sitting on a throne, we know because we have been given the white stone, we know who truly sits on the throne. And that is the message of Revelation. My prayer for us today is that we would be reminded of all that which calls us to go astray from the call of Christ in our lives. I wouldn't so much as to say that we are to ignore it, but we should acknowledge it, that it is all around us. And that we have victory in Christ to overcome these temptations. That was the challenge that Christ gave to the church at Pergamum. Remember who you serve. Remember the one with the double-edged sword. And that is Jesus' message to us today. Let us pray.